It's really great to be with you today. And uh, as Rachel has said, my name is Chris Hassel, and I'm from Aldridge Parish Church. And uh, I know that Joe's not here today, but uh, a massive thank you to Joe, as well as to Kevin and Rachel for inviting me along today. I've wanted to come to Junction 10 for a while now to see what you guys get up to on a Sunday. So it's really brilliant to be able to come and share with you today. And I realized that probably the vast majority of you have no idea who I am or where I come from. So I thought to begin with, it might be good just to give you a little background as to where I come from and to, as to who I am. So I grew up in Kent, spent the first 18 years of my life in Kent, and uh, my parents still live there now. Um, and really, throughout the whole of my life, I'd always wanted to be a lawyer. That had always been my plan in life, and I chose all my GCSEs on that basis. I chose all my A-levels on that basis. I had a place at Leicester University to study law. And then, uh, skipping back two years, when I was 16, uh, someone gave me a prophetic word that God wanted me to be a pastor. And for me, that was completely unexpected, came completely out of the blue, and I had no idea what to do with it. And yet, I knew it was God. But because I didn't know what to do with it, I pushed it to the back of my mind and continued with my plans to be a solicitor. So I had this place at Leicester University. And as I was just about to take my A2 exams, must have been in May time or something, God challenged me and I realized that my motives for being a solicitor weren't right and that actually God's plan for the whole of my life was to be a vicar. So I uh, uh, took a year out, I cancelled my plans to go to Leicester University and I spent a year working in a Christian community in Devon, a place called Lee Abbey and had a really great year um, and really spent that year asking God, was this for now or not? And uh, lo and behold, it happens that it was. So um, I then went to a place called St John's College in Nottingham where I studied for two years, uh, studied theology um, I then went to London and spent a year working in a church, a church called St. Barnabas Woodside Park. Had a really great year, actually, there as well. And uh, then went back to Nottingham, did my final year study, and then came to Aldridge. And I've been at Aldridge Parish Church now for just over two years. And it's been a real privilege to be part of Aldridge Parish Church and the community in Aldridge as well. And it's great to be with you, so uh, thank you for inviting me along, and uh, let's hear what God has to say to us today. And as I was preparing for today, I felt like God wanted to speak to us about the nature of love. The nature of love. I know that's a really big topic, um, and I want to look at partic a particular passage to do with that, probably quite a familiar one to Lots of us. And the thing is, in society, out in the world, and because it's in the world, we see it in the church as well at times, I think we can have a skewed understanding as to what love is really all about. And so today, I want us to have a look at, really, what is this whole thing about loving each other all about? And uh, I want to look at a passage from John chapter 15. So we've had Jesus saying, I'm the vine and you are the branches. And then we come to this particular passage about love. 
And we're going to read that together. So um, if you've got a Bible, do open it. Um, or if you have a phone or an iPad, do turn on your Bible. It's modern technology. And uh, we're going to read together. So uh, John chapter 15, verses 9 to 17. John chapter 15. Right, this is what Jesus says. Uh, John 15, 9 to 17. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends, For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command, love each other. Well, we're now in October. And the year is pressing on fast, nearly into November. Uh, Christmas things seem to have been in the shops since August. But I want to ask you now to cast your minds back five months to May. And you may remember uh, the general election, that big thing that happened in our country. And as I was preparing this talk, I was reminded of something that one of the commentators said immediately following the results of the election. Uh, Again, you may remember that before the election, there was really no clear indication as to who would win power after the election. Many people thought it would be another coalition government. And yet we came out with a majority conservative government. And whatever you think about those results... I think we'd all say that they were surprising and unexpected. And as I was listening to one of the commentators uh, following these results, I was struck by something he said. He said that now one of David Cameron's biggest tasks was to reunite the country. He said that because of the way the voting had taken place, Cameron needed to reunite the country. The majority of Scotland's seats moved over to the SNP. And the reason that this commentator said this is because a divided country is a weak country. He was saying that if we're to go anywhere, we need to go together and we need to work towards a common goal. And the passage I just read to you comes in the middle of a section of John's Gospel from chapters 13 to 17, where uh, he's writing, John is writing about the unity in the church. 
And he, he uses this metaphor of the father's relationship with Jesus as a model for our relationship with Jesus, as well as our relationships between each other. He says, just as the father has loved me, so I love you, and so you are to love each other. And this theme of unity comes up again and again in John's Gospel. Just to put this passage into a bit of context, uh, Jesus is speaking in Jerusalem to his disciples, and uh, they've had the Last Supper. Jesus has washed his disciples' feet, and he's promised the coming of the Holy Spirit. It's only a few chapters before Jesus is arrested and then sentenced to death. Uh, but do follow along with me. Um, so if you have closed your Bibles, uh, I'd love to encourage you just to keep them open or turn on your Bible and do follow along as we go through. So it's John chapter 15, verses 9 to 17. And this is what Jesus says in verses 9 and 10. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands... You will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. Later he says, you are my friends if you do what I command. So Jesus begins by saying that he loves us in exactly the same way as the Father loves Jesus. That love is a perfect unfailing love. Jesus loves you more than you could possibly begin to imagine. He loves you even if you don't know him yet. He loves you even if you wouldn't consider him your friend. He loves you even if you're walking completely the opposite direction to Jesus. He still loves you and it's a perfect unfailing love. And Jesus says that if we're to remain in his, love, in his love, we need to obey his commands. Just as Jesus remains in his Father's love by obeying his commands. What Jesus is not saying here is that he'll stop loving us if we stop doing what Jesus asks us to do. He's not saying that. Jesus can never stop loving us. He loves us more than we can possibly imagine. But we can position ourselves in life in such a way that we're best able to receive that love. And that position is to obey what he asks us to do. And uh, I want to focus today particularly on what that command is, a command that he mentions in this passage. But before I do that, I want to look at this concept of obedience. And it might be that you're here today and you struggle with that concept of obedience. Maybe to you, it makes Jesus sound harsh or controlling. Maybe it makes him sound like a strict taskmaster or a policeman who's just waiting for you to slip up so that he can uh, condemn you for disobeying his commands. Certainly, as I was growing up, 
I struggled to associate Jesus with those words, commands and obedience. And that was because my dad instilled into me that disobedience resulted in punishment and often discordant punishment at that as well. He would punish me in ways that were out of proportion to what I'd done. So I'd grown up uh, associating my earthly father with my heavenly father and with Jesus as well. And maybe for you, it's something similar. Maybe it's not to do with your dad, but maybe it's another authoritative figure in your life, perhaps a teacher or something. Someone who made you obey them out of a sense of fear. If you don't do this, then this is going to happen to you. That sort of obedience is obedience of straitjacket. That's a straitjacket obedience that leads to resentment and bitterness. And maybe that's something that Jesus wants to begin to work through with you today. But we've just said that Jesus loves us in the same way as the Father loves him. And what we see in Jesus' relationship with the Father is intimate and beautiful. Jesus has lived in perfect community with the Father and the Holy Spirit for the whole of eternity. Together, they are love. Love is their essential nature. So there's no sense here that Jesus obeys the Father out of a sense of fear. Jesus doesn't do that. He obeys his Father because he really loves his Father. It's one of the ways Jesus can express his love for his Father. Just as you might uh, do something for your husband and wife as a way of expressing your love for them because you know, because you know they like that. Jesus obeys his Father because it's one of the ways he can express his love for his Father. So this form of obedience in the passage here is not a straitjacket obedience that leads to resentment. Jesus obeys his father as a sign of his love for him. And just as we can obey Jesus as a sign of our love for him, so too obeying Jesus is a demonstration of our friendship with Jesus. Jesus says this, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything I learned from my father, I have made known to you. We are Jesus' servants. We call to serve Jesus with the whole of our lives. But Jesus sees us as far more than just servants. I think it's amazing that Jesus considers me, broken, imperfect me. Jesus sees me as his friend. And there's nothing that Jesus wouldn't reveal to me that the Father has revealed to him. 
There's nothing that the Father has revealed to Jesus that he wouldn't reveal to you. One of the things I love about following Jesus is that there's always more he has to say to me. There's always more he wants to encourage me, to tell me how much he loves me. There's always more to discover about Jesus. There's always more he wants to do in our lives. There's always more I can depend on him and learn to trust him. And we'll find that as we do obey Jesus, he fills us not with an earthly joy, but with a heavenly joy. And earthly joys are great. I was just chatting to a friend on the way here about awesome. Awesome's wonderful, seeing the, the, tree, the leaves on the trees change color. Uh, I live across the road from my church. I love walking across the fields to church and uh, seeing the beautiful, awesome colors. That's great. But if I have an argument with a friend, that joy is gone. If you're uh, a grandmum or granddad, you may love spending time with your grandkids, but they have a tantrum whilst they're in your care and you want to give them back again. <laughs> Earthly joys are great, but they're only temporary. And as we learn to follow Jesus, he fills us with a much deeper heavenly joy. Nehemiah famously says, doesn't he, the joy of the Lord is your strength. So as we learn to obey Jesus, we do so as an expression of our love for him. And as we do that, he fills us with a very deep heavenly joy. But this passage is referring to obeying Jesus about a particular command. There's something specific Jesus is saying here. He says in verses 12 and 13, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. In the final verse, he repeats, This is my command, love each other. I think in church life, we can hear about these verses about loving each other, you know, love your neighbours yourself, do to others as you'd have them do to you. Uh, if one part of the body of Christ suffers, the whole body suffers with it. You know, we can read those verses, and I think we can sometimes end up being quite sentimental about them. You know, we can think, oh yes, let's be really nice and kind to each other, Let's say lots of lovely things to each other. And we make loving each other just about being nice to each other. And it can become quite a fluffy and superficial thing. And yet when we do that, we take these verses completely out of context. Here, Jesus says, love each other as I have loved you. And then he goes on to say, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. There is nothing fluffy or superficial about dying for a fellow believer. And of course, as Jesus says this, he's looking ahead to his own death. The death that makes it possible for every one of us 
to spend eternal life with Jesus. And at the same time, and in a sense, far more simply, the death of a man for his friends. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And here in the UK, very few Christians are ever actually called to die for their faith. And yet in many parts of the world, that still does happen, of course. But we are called to a love for each other that sacrifices for the sake of each other. How we relate to each other as the church is hugely important. As the church, we are an army. But in, if an army is divided, that army is no good. Loving each other doesn't mean that we won't have disagreements with each other. We will. But it's about how we relate to each other whilst we have those disagreements that matters. There's a church in California called Bethel, and uh, something I love about Bethel is that they operate what they call a culture of honor. And it means that everything they do, or everything they say, they try to filter through this thing of honor. Does what I'm about to do, or what I'm about to say, encourage and build up that person? Or does it tear them down? Does what I'm about to do, or what I'm about to say, firstly, treat that person as a fellow human being, and secondly, as a fellow child of God, completely loved, completely accepted by our Heavenly Father? Does what I'm about to do or what I'm about to say treat that person with respect and honor? At Bethel, there is nothing fluffy or superficial about loving each other. But in the presence of love, it can create something good and beautiful. And yet in its absence, can lead to something quite ugly and poisonous. Truly loving each other means that we need to have a humility that accepts that every person, no matter who they are, has something to contribute. And it means that we value that person because of that. In Romans, Paul says, Love must be sincere. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Again, this is not about not having disagreements, but it's about how we relate to each other whilst we're having those disagreements. I mentioned earlier that this passage uh, comes in the middle of a wider section from chapters 13 to 17, where uh, Jesus uses his relationship with the Father as a model for our relationship with Jesus and our relationships with each other. 
And uh, two chapters before our chapter today, we have chapter 13. And it's here that Jesus demonstrates how much he expects us to love each other, the true extent of that love. Back in first century Palestine, uh, foot washing was considered the lowest task in society. It was a task that was reserved not even for Jewish slaves. This was a task for Gentile slaves, non-Jewish slaves, the task of washing a guest's feet as they come into, in, into someone's house. And yet Jesus, while he's eating with his friends, gets up from the table and begins to wash each one of his disciples' feet. He voluntarily takes the lowest position in order to demonstrate to his followers how much he expects them to honour each other and love each other as a demonstration of the love he has for his disciples as well. Are we as the church willing to get down on our hands and knees and wash each other's feet? In verse 16, Jesus says this. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Jesus is saying that as we obey his command, his command of loving each other, even in the act of loving each other, we will be producing fruit for the kingdom. As we decide to offer someone a word of encouragement, as we decide to babysit for a couple who've just had their baby uh, dedicated, as we offer to do something for someone so that they have less to do, or even as we choose to give someone dignity when we have a disagreement with them, these are all ways that we can honour a person and give them value. And the thing is, we can actually do this. We can do this. Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. I find it really reassuring to know that God has chosen me for this task, that he's appointed me for this task of loving each other, because loving people is hard. And God's chosen and appointed you for this same task as well. And because God lives us in us, and as we choose to remain in him as well, we will find that God actually changes our character so that we will become more like Jesus, so that we will naturally be more loving, gracious people. just like Cameron focusing on uniting the country following the election, as we choose to love each other, we'll find that it impacts our influence on society. Because we're called to be a people of influence, a people who have an impact on our communities, who have an impact on our schools, on our homes, on our workplaces, 
because Jesus lives in us and we remain in him. Should we pray together? Father, we're so grateful for who you are. We're grateful for your love and for your mercy and for your grace. I thank you, Jesus, that you were such a compassionate and kind person, that you values the people that no one else valued, that you showed respect to people who society pushed aside. I thank you, Jesus, that that's your character. And I thank you that you also send your spirit to live in us. And that because you live in us, this can be our character as well. And I thank you, Jesus, that obeying you is not a hard thing. I thank you, Jesus, that obeying you doesn't have to lead to resentment. But it's a joy because we love you. We want to give you our lives. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, would you continue to do your transformative work in our lives? We bless you for who you are. Amen.